0: This is episode 14 of the Soul of Sensitivity podcast. I'm Anna Holden, a professional intuitive and energy healer. I help highly sensitive people dig into the shadows of their soul to access their gifts, reclaim their purpose, and get intimate with their ultimate truth. I also teach intuitive development and mentor emerging healers through my Sacred Rebellion programs. Each week on the podcast, I explore different aspects of living a soulful, sensitive life. I'll bring you stories of other sensitive, creative pioneers, as well as my own thoughts, teachings, and tools. This is not the beginner's guide to sensitivity, but rather the place for sensitive souls to gather up their courage and pioneer their way into a life of personal freedom and spiritual sovereignty. Your sensitivity is sacred. Are you ready to live that way? Hi friends and welcome back to the Soul of Sensitivity podcast. Today I'm going to be talking with Carmen Kuhl um, and we're going to have what's, uh, what I really enjoyed as uh, an important converse- conversation about sensitivity, disordered eating, and we even dive into a bit of the the therapy field and how Carmen is working to, to change Um, her field of psychotherapy and, and why I really think that's needed for highly sensitive people. So that's coming up in just a second. Thank you so much for all of you who reached out after episode thirteen to uh, express your delight really I didn 't know what to expect after putting my work so like publicly out in the <laughs> uh, you know, out in the, the radio sphere, even though i 've been doing it you know for so long i mean i 've been giving readings since two thousand and nine and professionally since. Oh, 2013 so even though I'm confident in my work in private and one-on-one it was scary uh, for me to be putting my work out there that way and so I'm just it was really really nice to hear from those of you who enjoyed that and who um, said you were a fan and and who said that that set your mind at ease about the kind of work that I do and and how it resonated so I'm just really grateful for that I don't have any new Patreon supporters to thank, but I will support, or rather, I will thank all of my monthly supporters um, this month or this week, rather, we had some fun. Um, At the end of episode 13, I did a group oracle, which was a lot of fun. And then for my Patreon supporters, I did another oracle within the the Patreon group where individuals could ask questions. And I did many individual downloads for them and did um, kind of a group oracle for the whole Patreon group. And um, that has been really, really fun. So if you're not a Patreon, supporter you can get all of those perks uh, and all of these little extras through um, something as little as two dollars a month so I'd love to see your support and if you enjoy this podcast but making a financial contribution isn't possible it helps out a lot if you to just go over to itunes subscribe and write us a review and for all of my Patreon supporters at the $2 a month or above level, this week you are getting a little extra from my conversation with Carmen. Um, and you're going to get an extra where Carmen and I are going to talk more about our individual experiences with eating disorders and what to do if you suspect that a friend or someone you know um, has some disordered eating and needs help. So without further ado, let me tell you about my friend Carmen. Carmen is a psychotherapist, educator, speaker, and a cupcake connoisseur. She has been a therapist for 18 years and works primarily with binge eating disorder. She has also started and run a nonprofit created youth programs and speaks internationally on health at every size, feminism and eating disorders and weight stigma. Her work is focused on dismantling diet culture, being our body's advocate, and supporting the next generation of body-positive leaders. Because she believes that the way people are treated in the society affects their health, she engages in activism whenever possible. She is the past board president of the Association for Size, Diversity, and Health, was named Most Inspiring Individual in Boulder, Colorado, and was the recipient of the Excellence in Eating Disorder Advocacy Award in Washington, D.C. Hi, Carmen. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Anna. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, You're welcome. I am so excited to be talking about this issue, particularly with you because I love your work. Thank Um, you. Yeah, but we're going to be talking about this issue that I see... um, where highly sensitive people struggle with body image and destructive eating patterns. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and, yeah. And in your work, you know, you, you work with people with distorted eating patterns and um, I, I just really love your approach to this. So okay. can you tell us uh, about how you became interested in this particular focus uh, in psych- psychotherapy?
1: Sure. Yeah. I think When I went back to school to get my master's in counseling, I knew from the beginning that this was the issue that I wanted to work with, and this was Mm -hmm. the territory that I wanted to be in, and I think that that came out of um, my own experience, actually, Mm -hmm. and the experience of family members and many people that I knew. I was, um, you know, I don't know how much of my own story we want to talk about, but certainly... As much as you want. We love it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We love it here. Um, And that could, that could take up the whole time, I think in a way, but Mm -hmm. I, uh, you know, had a long history of going back and forth between dieting or trying to restrict or control my intake and binge eating and had a period of time where that went into bulimia and, you know, a lot, um, or a long history of being, uh, kind of fixated on what I thought was the problem, which was my body and my appetites and that And that, if I could just kind of fix my body and learn how to control what I wanted, that everything would be fine um, and there was, of course, more to it, like you know, the idea that if I could be in a smaller body, my life would be better. And
0: of right. course I thought
1: that, right? Like, um, of course. Yeah. yeah we're taught
0: to thought that, to think that rather. We're taught
1: to thought that. I like yes. that better. We're taught to <laughs> thought that. Those are all the thoughts we're taught to have. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I um, actually dropped out of school in my undergrad for a little bit to go into treatment. And I think mm-hmm. it was there that kind of um, uh, my feminist awakening really happened. And I, kind of saw some of the bigger picture issues that were that were happening. And I got really angry, to be honest. And I feel like, you know, someone asked me the other day, what my actually not the other day, a while ago, someone asked me what the biggest factor was in my in my recovery from an eating disorder. And I can remember wanting to say something like it was love and self-compassion and (laughs) it was was learning how to be kind. And the truth is it was, it was outrage. Like I got really pissed off and that was fuel for me to, to kind of um, look at all of this differently and want to fight for something different. And I just cared so much about all of the time and energy and dreams actually kind of being subverted, um, subverted under this. I hope i 'm making sense, but under this project of of our bodies right and yeah. and just wanting people to be to be free from that
0: yeah let's let 's talk about that a little bit more. I love that, so i 'm curious like specifically these things that you were seeing that you got really angry about mm-hmm. um, yeah and and i 've seen this kind of floating around and i hadn 't even thought about it before, honestly, but this idea that you know when when women are um, pressure to focus on their bodies all the time, we lose out. Oh my gosh. We lose out and the world loses out.
1: Like I think everybody loses, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. When we are, um, gosh, when our, when our energy is just channeled into what am I eating and how much am I eating and how many points did I just eat? You know, like the math that gets involved Mm in, and the calculations and, Mm -hmm. and then just the, the energy of feeling like, like we're not enough. And, and then the things that don't get to happen when that's where we stay paralyzed, mm-hmm. you know, or we stay stuck or, or when we're following the path that we think we're supposed to be on, frankly, mm-hmm. right? Which is um, losing weight and fixing ourselves and gosh, trying to be quote unquote healthy, that um, that's a pursuit that we're supposed to be on. And all of that actually just diverts us away from our, our internal wisdom. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think maybe the bigger purpose of what we're, what we're here for and what we're here to do.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I know that when I was in the midst of my own eating disorder, that like that math that you talked about <laughs> um, and, and how, like, for me, the numbers became tied to self-worth, Yeah, you know, like did the numbers yeah. line up right? If they lined up right, then, you know, everything was great for that, you know, moment, Uh you know, and then when things didn't line up right and I kept journals and I keep them to this day so that Mm -hmm. I remember this, but I would write myself like nasty, nasty notes, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. if the, um, if the numbers didn't line up because they were so tied to my self-worth and it was that feeling of not enoughness, you know, continue along the hamster wheel. As well as this idea, it sounds like for you that if, if
1: you could just be mean enough to yourself, it would quote unquote whip you into shape, right? That, that exactly. kind of critical, um, the critical voice and the really harsh, judgmental voice is what you needed to somehow fall into line. Um, <laughs> as if that ever worked for anybody, right? Right? Yeah. right? yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about, you know, tell us about how long you've been working with um, disordered eating and, mm-hmm. and kind, of, kind of what your general approach is.
1: Oh, that part's a big question. Um, okay. The first one's easy. I've been working in this field for about, gosh, 18, 19 years, something Mm -hmm. like that. Yeah, it's been a long time. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Awesome. And so tell us, yeah, tell us more about your approach here.
1: So I think first I use uh, a feminist lens towards this entire issue and in the way that I work with, with people. Um, I also very much feel rooted in a weight inclusive approach. So Any work that I'm doing with someone around food and body is weight inclusive, Um, kind of weight, um, though it's a concern for people who come in, it's never something that I am invested in as an outcome of working together. So I understand that, you know, lots of feelings and hopes around it show up in my office, but it's not where, it's not where I go. Um, I don't think weight is something that needs to be treated. Um, I think our relationship with food is what we need to heal. So uh, very much in a health at every size framework. Um, So helping people learn how to take care of the bodies that they're in and let our bodies kind of figure out the weight question on their own.
0: I love that. Yeah. I love that. There's so much freedom within that, you know, just Mm -hmm. letting our bodies figure out where they need to be
1: (laughs) our bodies know right they don't need to be controlled by us our bodies know what to do if Mm -hmm. if we just learn how to um partner with them and listen to the information that we're getting like there's so much information and and wisdom in the signals that we get um and i think we we learn how to not tune into those Mm -hmm. or not know how to read the language of our bodies Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. yeah so what do you think some of the um I guess some of the like triggers, or you know, what what are some of the patterns you see um, for for people who come into your office? You know, how did they how did they kind of get into disordered eating? Um, you know, what are those underlying factors that you notice?
1: That is a great question, and it's a hard question to answer because I think for everyone, it's a little bit different. Like the constellation of factors. Um, differs obviously from people. But I think some of the similarities are um, from the obvious, like living in a toxic culture around, you know, food and bodies and weight and all of that stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. Sometimes there's family pressure, um, peer pressure that they get from a young age, maybe Mm -hmm. teasing around their bodies um, or family relationships of food Mm -hmm. and weight being, being a strong focus. Mm -hmm. Um, and then you know I think for a lot of people perfectionism can come into play this ethic of I can do anything if I try hard enough and then we take that and put it over onto our bodies right if I if I just try hard enough I can get my body to be the way that I want it to be I can I can work with this through sheer effort alone kind of idea if that makes sense Mm -hmm. Um, often for people that I work with there is uh, a rebellious energy that shows up. In, and that's in common, I think, among the people that I work with, as well as the, the teens that I work with. Mm-hmm. So that can be there, not as a cause, but just as
0: um, kind of a commonality, if you will, that shows up. Yeah. You know, and on your website, you talk about that rebellious streak as being mm-hmm. important, actually. So yeah. can you expand on that?
1: I can, because I love it. It's one of my most favorite, one of my fa- most favorite things, I think, um, One of my most favorite energies to work with. And, you know, it's funny because people that come in, they don't maybe necessarily recognize themselves as being rebellious. They might not refer to themselves as a rebel. So it comes in all kinds of different flavors. Um, But I think it's the part of us that says in some way, either you're not the boss of me, right? Or you can't limit me. You can't tell me what to do. You can't tell me what I can and can't have. And that part rises up. And I love it because there's actually so much wisdom in it. I think there's wisdom in this part of us that says, um, I get to define myself for myself. And I think at its core, it's a desire for freedom. And Mm. we we don't like it when limits get put on that. And I Mm. think there's so much health and wisdom to that. Um, So I want to support that very much. Um, I think that the problem, if there is one with that, is that the energy is still in reaction to this thing where we're rebelling against. So freedom doesn't really live there. You know, mm-hmm. if we're always in reaction to something, that's not full freedom either. So really helping people find this place between either complying with the rules or rebelling with the rules into mm-hmm. this place in the middle where it's kind of um, a place of rest and a place of uh, this of agency, right? This is actually what I want. And I'm not in reaction to something in any direction. Does that make sense? Anna?
0: No, that totally makes sense. I mean, what I'm kind of or like the picture that I'm getting is like, well, you're creating freedom and deciding, you know, what what rules are out there that you're actually like okay with, that you're actually on board with, that you can stop fighting with and which, you know, just kind of like creating a structure um mm-hmm. based on what what you want rather than what you don't want or what uh, others are saying, kind of in a kind of a thing. Did I did I get yeah. that?
1: Yeah. Okay. You know, when it shows up around food, right? There's this rebellion against all of the rules and restrictions that dieting places, and and then the pendulum swings. So like, I can, um, I don't want to be told that I can't have that. So now I'm going to have all of it. Yeah. And, and then it's disconnected from well, how much do I actually want, I and want how it. much or more the point, right? How much is actually satisfying? Um, yeah. So rather than just a rebellion against you can't you can't tell me I you know, if you're telling me I can't have it, watch me kind of reaction, I know this in myself so much, like, mm-hmm. you tell me what I can't do, my automatic reaction is, watch me, yeah. and sometimes that's not the healthiest response, as it turns out, right, like, mm-hmm. uh, like, if I have, to, I, I have to learn to know that that's my automatic response, when, when someone tells me what I can and can't do, and then kind of tune into my highest wisdom around, okay, what actually is good for me, and, mm-hmm. and what what do I really want to do here?
0: Mm-hmm. I think I think that you know, learning to listen to that body wisdom is just mm-hmm. so. I mean, critical for so many things. Mm-hmm. Something that I've noticed in working with highly sensitive people um, is this kind of common uh, narrative that, or co- really common experience that we have around, you know, noticing all the subtle aspects in life. Um, that most people don't notice, right? Noticing kind oh, yeah. of what's going on behind the scenes. And then because, you know, people with hearty nervous systems aren't reflecting that back to us, we can start to feel like like our reality doesn't exist, yeah, right? And yeah. so when we have that kind of sense, feeling like a deep disconnection, um, uh, I think it was Dr. Anita Johnston who spoke, uh-huh kind of made this connection, like, yeah, I think that a lot of highly sensitive people um, who have eating disorders, this is part of that story,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: basically, you know, I can't find, I can't find freedom because I don't even know where I exist, (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) right, Mm
0: -hmm. Um, anyway, and so what I find, I find two things, so my highly sensitive um, uh, clients that I work with who are, you know, in the process of, getting help around distorted eating, Mm -hmm. um, can have a a difficult time with, uh, with restriction, you know, of, of any sort. And you talk about that on your website, you talk about knowing, um, a few things that just don't work for people specifically with binge eating issues. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. can you talk, speak to those and, and talk about why they don't work? So I
1: think what I was saying is that rules and restrictions do not work when, when trying to heal from disordered eating. Mm. Yeah. Um, There might've been something else I said that I can't remember, but definitely rules and restrictions. Um, And it's hard because people in the beginning feel like the structure is what's freeing. Like the, I've had so many people that just say, just tell me what to do. Tell me what plan to follow. And I will so gladly do it, right? Just give me, give me the formula, give me the prescription, tell me what to do. Um, and it's the exact opposite direction that we need to go in, which is um, kind of a, uh, a real attunement to what our needs and limits are or, you know, and our desires um, many times throughout the day. Like that the internal wisdom is where we need to um, orient towards rather than an external plan or a set of rules. And restrictions tend to backfire anyway. And most people know that, right? That is, yeah. that if I try to limit something or say I can't have it, that's the very thing that I'm gonna want, right? Yeah. There's this just so much um, humanity actually in that, in that response. And so in order to find real freedom, we have to get rid of the rules and restrictions of all kinds.
0: Wow. Yeah. So, uh, you know, talking about, um, you know, the path of needing to sit down with the inner wisdom and, and, and how it's so counterintuitive or not counterintuitive rather, but it's not what, um, you're seeing that your clients want. What do you think that fear is? Like, what do you think that, you know, that block is from being able to wanting to sit, you know, with that inner wisdom?
1: I think people have learned to um. not trust their bodies mm. and their wisdom, right? That, that there's an experience of I can't trust my body and my body can't trust me.
0: Mm.
1: And so the thought of then referring to myself and my own wisdom is something that feels suspect, mm. you know? And frankly, it's, sometimes it's just easier to have a plan to follow. that's what makes it so relieving when people decide to sign up for another diet or another another plan there's some relief that comes from that it's like okay i can just do what somebody tells me and and that brings some kind of relief and also the the process is messy right the process is messy and that's hard and it's there's no hard and fast rules there's just what feels true for me in any moment and that takes time and attention and mindfulness to to be with and that messiness is something we don't always have a lot of tolerance for.
0: Absolutely, you know, especially um, if, if, if we've been trying to control our eating for yeah. so long, then yeah. there, there isn't a lot of tolerance for messiness. Mm-hmm. You know, I really, I'm just reflecting on what you said here about um, it's, you know, it's easier to follow a plan. Yeah. In the reco- so I, I had, uh, I was anorexic as a teenager mm-hmm. and in my recovery, that's what we went to was like this eating plan, right? To make sure, sure, Sure. right. I ate enough. And there was something, it was like, it felt like, you know, a healthy step, but it was, yeah. Right. And it was, Mm -hmm. but now what I'm reflecting on, as you talk about this, it's like, I didn't, it it was a step, you know, it was a step in the healing process and I validated it, but it wasn't where like the real healing um, happened. That wasn't until years later, kind of on my own, when I read a book, I think, called Intuitive Eating or something. Yep, that's the one. <laughs> yeah, right? Uh, I think, I, you know, what's funny is I think I lent it to someone over the years and I never got it back. Um, but it was in, in that, it, that book coincided with me starting to practice yoga, mm-hmm. which I think was just kind of this lovely pairing because I was learning to listen and slow yes. down while, uh, you know, starting to finally heal this uh, mm-hmm. pattern of control.
1: That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Um, so I'm curious about the, some of the treatment style that you use. On your website, you talk about using the Hakomi. I do. Uh, yeah. And I would love for you to talk more about what that, you know, looks like and why it's different from traditional psychotherapy.
1: Yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot of pieces to that. So Hakomi is um, a mindfulness-based form of somatic therapy.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So if I kind of do a, some broad strokes of an overview, um, it references the body as an important source of wisdom mm-hmm. and kind of uses the principles of mindfulness, meaning um, often with people, I will have them slow down and turn towards their experience. So rather than, or maybe in addition to, right, talking, about, talking about what we're experiencing, um, having somebody kind of turn, turn towards themselves, go inside, we might slow down, might ask them to you know, go into a mindful state and then study their experience from the inside. Um, mm. It's a beautiful way to um, kind of find out deeper levels of what's really happening and what we're, um, where our experience is coming from
0: that makes so much sense. And it seems like a really um, you know, nice tool for, for helping us explore that body wisdom.
1: Absolutely. You know, like the body have. has so much information yeah. for us if we, can, if we can learn to kind of turn down the noise and, and mm-hmm. tune in and listen. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm referencing the body many times throughout, throughout a session, like asking people to notice what might be happening, right? Or just helping them pay attention to it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, something that I note about highly sensitive people um, kind of spiritually speaking is this tendency for us to kind of be in our heads and yeah. kind of up, you know, like almost like the is kind of shooting out of the body um, mm-hmm. a bit and getting grounded and getting embodied and actually working with the body can feel, mm-hmm. you know, like a really big challenge. And sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that
1: I, you know, I'm one of those people that um, I do identify as highly sensitive and I mm-hmm. definitely take refuge in information yep, and, and thinking and that I've learned not to dismiss that part of me. It's a valuable part of who I am. And it's, it leaves out a lot though, if I stay there and, Exactly. you know, that I've learned that my body knows what I'm feeling sometimes before I do, yeah. right? Like I've learned that, you know, as just one example, when I'm I might not recognize that I'm feeling angry, but my jaw is tight and set, right. Yeah. And so when I when I feel that, I'm, I, it, it's a sign for me to go, huh? I wonder, I wonder what I'm feeling now about. You know, <laughs> that my body registers my feelings um, before I'm aware that I have them.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and and so. Yeah, you know, one of the things that I notice um, is that when I can help highly sensitive people just get into their bodies and notice where where we're holding tension, there's, yes, so so much opens up, Mm -hmm. uh, right? So much opens up in the body. Yeah. Um, And so I love, one of my favorite things about you, Carmen... (laughs) I just I love you, Carmen. So oh, I, I should kind of back blushing. up. Yeah, <laughs> I should just back up and say that Carmen and I uh, met during a mastermind group, and so we've done some, you know, done a little bit of professional work together. But um, y'all should follow Carmen on Facebook because oh, <laughs> her her social media posts. This is part of the thing that I just love about you how very vocal you are about your descent of the dieting industry mm-hmm. and you know, and what it's doing um, to, to all people, but, you know, to, to women and to people who experience um, eating disorders too. Um, And, you know, when I was recovering from my eating disorder in 1999, nobody talked about this. Like everyone was like, you know, you must have had a bad childhood or, you know, and it was like, oh gosh, right. Uh Right. And that's all I remember. I remember I had to see this therapist and he kept digging and digging and I'm (laughs) like, there's nothing there. Like, yeah help me out. So so I just I I just love for you. I know we've talked about it a little bit, but I'd mm-hmm. love for you to dive a little bit deeper in um, one your like uh, your your posts and you know what you're putting out there. Mm-hmm. But two, the other thing I always like to highlight is how did you get brave enough? How did you find, you know, the courage yeah. to start dissenting against these big cultural energies? Mhm. Yeah. Okay.
1: Two very different questions. They yeah. are. Yep.
0: So take your time.
1: Connected, of course. So I, hmm. in some ways I've been dissenting, not just around diet culture, but also the field of therapy in some ways, or the general field of mental health. And, and some of that is what you're describing, that there's been this focus on, you know, the question is, where do we locate the problem? Right. And I think we so often locate the problem inside the individual and like, and then if we're working on healing our body image or our disordered eating patterns, if we're, if we're thinking, you know, we're not the ones who are broken, frankly. Right. And so if we're only trying to heal and do work at that level, it it just leaves us feeling like we're broken and we have to do all the work. And um, I don't think that's it. Right? I don't think that's all of it. I think this isn't just about changing our ways of thinking or changing our ways of feeling. Um, we have to deconstruct the power structures surrounding all aspects of bodies in order for us to, be, to have access to the freedom and liberation that we all need, right? So we need pathways out of diet culture, yes, and to do the individual work around that. Um, but we also need an equitable society, you know, um, in other words, you know, Reagan Chestain says that it's difficult to get over your fear of weight gain when you're recovering from an eating disorder. When you look around, and your fear is 100% justified. Yeah. Right? So we have to do the work at the cultural level for that to make any kind of sense, mm-hmm. at least for me. So the case really looking at um, at all of those pieces, right? All of the all of the things that are set up out there to to promote and encourage me to be at war with my own body and kind of dismantling those systems as well as doing the internal work of healing that i need to do
0: does that make sense it totally makes sense and i'm gonna we'll come back to that second the second piece of that but i just wanted to add on here where you know i have felt recovered from you know my my disordered eating patterns for many years but it hit me again after i gave birth because Mm -hmm there's, you know, I get flooded with emails about, you know, okay, mom, you know, get your body back. And like, oh, there's sure. actually a popular class called body back. Like that's what the class is called. And it, it like, it, it just, you know, it screamed at me. I took their pregnancy classes because they were really fun, but I could not go afterwards because I could not take myself to a class that was called body back. Of course. I have a body. Stop try, trying to tell me I have to get my body back, you know. But that's where I I kind of fought with this. It was like I'm feeling really pressured to lose, you know, because I, I to lose the baby weight. I, mm-hmm. I I heard in some it was some like women supposed to be like a women's positive um, email, and it was like, you know, are you spending those nap times, you know, getting off the mama tummy? And I was just like come on, you know? So I just want to, just want to, you know, say how it really is in all these aspects of life. And, Mm -hmm. um, it's it's not just about weight. No. Right. Like I'm almost
1: 53 and I'm just suddenly aware of the line of products with anti-aging in the name. It's like, well, I'm not anti-aging. Like I want to, like, I want to keep living. Right. And, and part of that means I'm going to just go over. <laughs> I don't want to be anti-aging. Yeah. You don't want to take good care of the skin I happen to have now. Yeah. But Even the, the language is just so interesting to me.
0: Yeah. <sighs> yeah. The way that we name things. Mm-hmm. Totally. totally. Mm-hmm. So, you know, one of the things I'm trying to do with this podcast is you know, support highly sensitive people who are working to live, you know, bigger in the world, these sensitive, creative lives. So this is why I'd love to talk about, you know, how you developed the courage to be, you know, dissenting and and putting out your opinions against, Mm -hmm. you know, these really big cultural pictures. Mm -hmm. You know, it's funny because in some ways I've always been, not,
1: not, I've not always been someone who's used my voice, but I've always been someone who really does not like The status quo yeah you know i can remember growing up liking a band let's just say and as soon as they got popular i would stop liking them (laughs) you know or loving an author or 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 rather like not reading any books that was on the new york times bestseller list because if they were that popular i then that meant mainstream and i wasn't going to have it you know the (laughs) really good books that way um yeah (laughs) but but just to say that I think uh, i've always um, not uh, not fully bought into the fact that I have to conform to be to whatever it is mm-hmm. right to be accepted or to feel comfortable so mm. um, so in some ways like I went to, the school I went to was a very non traditional non mainstream school, and I'm comfortable with kind of that oppositional consciousness, if you will, mm-hmm. um, using my voice more loudly has been something that's been more of a journey. Mm-hmm. Um, I, maybe as someone who's sensitive and maybe as someone who's shy, I don't know as, as if, if I'm as shy as I used to be as a, as a kid, I would have described myself that way, but I can, I can have quite a bit of social anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, and in some ways, social media is easier for me to mm-hmm. actually make, statements Mm -hmm. Uh, so I think the medium works for me Mm. and what I know about myself also and this may or may not be related to the question Anna but I know that when I feel really really strongly about something I will speak Mm
0: -hmm. Um,
1: I don't speak to fill space right so when I do it really matters Mm -hmm. And, um, and I I just believe so strongly in what I'm saying and what I believe that uh, there are times that I get scared i 'll put something out and get really freaked out, and like especially if nobody responds, that sounds so cliche, oh my gosh um,
0: <laughs> oh you 're human learn
1: <laughs> that <I am. laughs> humanness shows up all kinds of ways um, it 's not about liking what I have to say so much as like just um, almost like uh, I don't know that I can describe it so much, but like, did anybody hear me? Right? Am I um am I out there <laughs> almost in a way? Um, did it land? Did it land, right? Do I make sense? That's a big one that comes up for me. Am I making any sense? It's one of yeah. the things that I ask way too often.
0: Um, I do the same thing. Yeah.
1: And I think I care less, and maybe that's now in my 50s, too, to be honest. <laughs> you know, I care a little bit less, actually, about. If someone's going to agree or not, because it's, it's what I know to be true. And it's what I know works for a lot of people in terms of, of healing. And I don't really care actually. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, so in some ways it doesn't feel like it takes courage mm-hmm. if, in, in its own way. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, See, I, I just mean, did it again. Yeah, it's okay. Oh. I mean, it sounds to me. It sounds like you, you've kind of built a foundation. Mm -hmm. you know, where, you know, now you can, it's supportive of you, uh, Mm -hmm. making claims that don't feel that big, you know, for you. I
1: forget a lot of times how radical some of this is. Um, I think I forget, and maybe that makes it easier. I don't know. Um, (laughs) uh, I also have a community that supports me, and I think that also helps a lot, but I know people are going to have my back, Mm -hmm. um, and do have my back, um, if needed, and that, that also makes it a little easier to, to make bold claims or to speak out strongly. Mm-hmm. I yeah. also feel a responsibility to do so more and more, um, yeah. that I'm not okay, um, being quiet. If, yeah. if, if something is harmful, um, I don't want to be quiet about that anymore.
0: Absolutely. Yep. I agree with you. I mean, that's kind of how it, it started for me. It's like, I just can't stay quiet. It, it feels harder to stay quiet at this point. Yeah you know, then the potential criticism or backlash mm-hmm. or, or whatever mm-hmm. it is. Yeah.
1: Also, I know that if I feel extra vulnerable or if I've been out there in a, in a strong way for a, for a period of time, I can feel the urge in myself. Like I need to go home. I need to turn off all the lights. I need to listen to Vivaldi and lay on the floor. Like I, I need those periods of recovery. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. To be able to get back up and do it
0: again. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. So Carmen, something else that I see you doing in your work, and I think this was um, one of the ways that I connected with you in our mastermind it was something that you said around this. And I was like, oh, I, I'm, we're gonna be friends, she and I. Um, <laughs> but you're, it, it's like you and your, um, you know, your practice, you're kind of um, you know, a little bit more dissent, trying to change the, the norms, I think, of conduct, I, I guess, between therapists and clients. Yes. Um, I would love you to speak to that.
1: Oh my goodness.
0: I am
1: more and more, I am aware of the way the field of psychotherapy has become subsumed under a medical model, um, under a Western, excuse me, kind of patriarchal form of of working, and I am not comfortable with that. Mm-hmm. So that can show up in many different ways. Um, but one of them is like, I am not interested at all in wearing a professional persona or mask. Right? Like I'm going to show up as a real, authentic human being. Um, I'm going to say fuck <laughs> <laughs> a lot of the time. Oh, no, I, I I talk about that up front with people. Um, mm-hmm. I'm gonna feel emotional with someone I'm gonna share myself I'm gonna show up as a real human being not as a distant professional who's pretending to be neutral Um, because I don't think we have any I don't think we have any um, room for neutrality frankly right now Mm -hmm. so there's also norms around like uh, I mean some of this is traditional and, and a lot of people don't practice this way anymore, but norms around touch and hugging clients and saying, I love you. And all of those ways of being in relationship that, um, that I don't, I don't buy, you know?
0: Yeah. And I just, I, I know that in, in my own search for therapy, I have been so hungry for that and yeah. have just gone through therapists. Cause I don't, I don't, actually don't feel like i'm being heard with that professional Mm -hmm. mask it's like Mm -hmm. uh, what's actually even happening here where
1: are you who are you like i need a real person here with me and that's where the healing is it's and that's what we know anyway is that it's the relationship and that doesn't mean i I don't have boundaries when i need to they're pretty you know they're soft and flexible um but but they're not absent you know and it it doesn't mean that i'm going to meet my needs through the interaction um Mm -hmm but it does mean I'm gonna be real and
0: relational. Yeah, yeah. Well, I just love this. I just love the work that you're doing in the world, Carmen. Thank I think you we need sensitive pioneers like you. So I'm just so grateful that you were able to take um, some time out of your day to speak to us about this. Yeah, I'm honored um, that you invited me. And likewise, really grateful that you are someone that's
1: highlighting the needs and brilliance of highly sensitive people. Thank oh. you.
0: Well, thank you. So, Carmen, if you could tell our listeners one thing, if there's one thing you would like them to know, what's that thing?
1: Hmm. If the listeners could see me, they would see I just made a face in response to that question because, <laughs> because that's so hard. I'm like, just one? I have to I be – I have to uh, – what would that be? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I will say that the answer to that might be different. Um, on any day that you might ask me Mm -hmm. the question but today what feels true is I want people to know that that their bodies are not a problem and that they are not a problem
0: thank you so much Carmen you're welcome thank you so much for having me here yeah take care thanks For information on everything shared here, including show notes and links, visit www.sensitivityuncensored.com forward slash soul of sensitivity.